0: Welcome back to System of the podcast where we push each other's buttons because we forget to
1: push our own. This is Brent. I definitely did not read the man page.
2: And I'm Peyton.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. So this is the third time. This is the (laughs) third take. Normally, we just go right on the first take and then just clean it up and post, but... Honest to God, I think the last time we had more than one take was the episode where you kept trying to say, we're born when we, sh- when we shoot from our mother's vagina.
0: <laughs> well, I can't remember which episode... I'll link to it in the notes, but yeah,
1: that was... Season 0, Episode 5. You can no, hear... it was one. Uh, Season 1, Episode 5, I'm you,
0: oh, you can hear the outtakes at the end. That was one of the few episodes where we did outtakes with something special at the end, like a hidden track kind of a thing, and...
1: Oh my gosh.
0: That was so... It was so hard to
1: get that out. Oh my gosh. I don't know why. And, and, so and normally, when we keep fucking up at the beginning, like, Brent gets all pissy at us, but that time he just couldn't stop fucking <laughs> laughing himself.
0: And it just...
1: i The
0: more angry I got at myself, the harder I would laugh. And it just... It was terrible
2: it was terrible yes yes you are pretty terrible i mean uh, yes it was pretty terrible
0: cute real cute
2: so hey at least my terrible pun didn't get on the air this time (laughs) that's true he had
0: a terrible pun to fill an awkward silence uh in the last take and thankfully we've lost that to uh to the annals of time Yep. They thought, what
1: is it the word annals again it's like our most hit episode by way of search engine, that's true apparently.
0: that's true our uh our episode where we have the word anal it's called annal action. Anal action or hot <laughs> anal action or something in the title that by far is our most popular episode for downloads i don't know why um but it's it's not a typo we talk about annals for data <laughs>
1: it's it's anal action i don't know what you guys want from me <laughs> this is gonna be a fucking episode it is it is that's almost, feeling... as
2: bad as, that's almost as bad as the guy who made the door knocker he didn't win the nobel prize <laughs> what
0: is it <laughs> God, I'm fucking your stupid fucking puns i hate it i like i like puns but like take on dude all right fucking anyways all right what are you guys drinking again so, sorry, listeners actually hear it. I'm drinking Bullet 10 again.
1: I am drinking red wine from 14 Hands Winery, which is in the Columbia Valley in Washington State. It's a red blend called Hot to Trot. Because
0: Jathan fancy. What, what about I you? I fancy.
2: Paden? Ooh, do you
1: have your little pinky up? Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, right. he drinks from the bottle. What about you, Peyton?
2: I'm drinking Old Tankard Ale. That's all. That's made by Pabst. It's pretty good.
0: Cool. Okay.
2: So we we have probably I'm gonna say it's a
0: long episode this time, and then hopefully you know what with like Murphy's Law and all that, it'll actually be a short episode. But we'll see.
2: Have you ever heard of Coles Law? It's Coles
0: Law.
3: (laughs) Oh, you stupid! What is it with you? Oh my God!
1: What in the fuck, Peyton? That is so fucked up.
0: Oh my God. I'm so
3: angry. <laughs> I fell
0: for that. If it was in text, I would have gotten it immediately. Oh,
2: I'm sorry, so I'm mad. Sorry. Let's be professional now, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've been a pro- been professional for a single episode ever. Let's be let's, professional now. Coming from Pain, at the very least, let's just get to it, Payton. Let's uh, get on we'll with just it. Get on. Get on with the news. All
2: right, this is Payton with the news. Okay. Uh, LastPass fuckery. LastPass is scrambling to fix another serious vulnerability. This is the second time in two weeks that the developers of the popular LastPass password manager are working to fix a serious vulnerability that can allow malicious websites to steal users' passwords or infect computers with malware. <sighs> who here still uses LastPass? I don't.
1: Yeah, I, I actually read uh, like a thread about this last night, and there was a guy who was like. Well, honestly, so many people trying to crack LastPass now is just making me feel better and better about it because they're responding with yeah, such yeah, grace. No. Yeah, no.
0: Yeah, no, no. They're I, responding I, with grace? I don't well, know apparently, where
1: you know, they're just, they're fixing it.
0: Well, yeah, they should be. I don't think that has mm-hmm. any statement on, like, how... I don't know. I, don't
1: I didn't know. say it.
2: It's uh, Well, of course you didn't say
0: it. It's, <laughs> look, I'm just going to go on the record saying that it's a bad idea to store your credentials yeah. off site and if you absolutely have to don't use a third party like there's yeah. stuff specifically designed for this i mean the, the <laughs> unix password manager or whatever it's called just pass that has
1: support for like git built in and that's just bash yeah. and
0: gpg which
1: and you even have an option if you really want to use go pass which is you know go and not bash yeah but fuck go i'm stuck at go i hate go <sighs> Anyways, sorry.
0: Keep going, Peyton.
2: No, no, no. That's fine. No, I, 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 mean, I stopped using it a long time ago. Uh, I think there was a, it was hacked or or cracked, or that someone found the key or whatever, and so I stopped using it right around that time. Yeah. I'm gonna skip over the next one on the list because I thought we could talk about that one last. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go straight into HP is creating a a system. I found this on the register. They're creating a system where they have a new laptop and it's using the Bromium virtualiz- virtualization technology. What will happen is if you launch Chrome or Air Explorer, it will actually be its own self-contained VM. And if you visit a malicious site and you get infected, it will detonate itself, which I think is, while it sounds really cool, I think it's, I think the idea is a little crazy you know, personally. Yeah, Hopefully. wasn't
1: there, like, a whole OS that basically was built around this idea? Like, OS or some shit? Oh, yeah. No. Where so. every application ran on its own, like, little tiny hypervisor not, or something?
0: That's not really what OS did. Or does, I guess. They're still around. OS. Boots a single hypervisor, and then everything runs in that. But it doesn't segment each application, to my knowledge. Got it. That seems like an unnecessarily large amount of resource consumption. But...
2: I'm just... I mean, I, I guess wanna, if
0: your tinfoil had enough, you know.
2: Yeah. I'd want to get one of these just to test it and be like, okay, this is kind of cool, or, oh my god, I can't, I can't even use it. You know, whatever. You know, I just feel like it's too much, really, realistically, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just... I don't know.
2: What if you have something? What if you have a second tab open with actually something important in it and your VM's like, oh, malware, and it destroys itself? And you're like, that wasn't malware, you know?
0: Yeah. And especially, like, I hesitate to see this become the norm because, like, yeah, I mm. understand what they're trying to do and I appreciate the effort. Same. But, like, what about malware researchers? They have to run this stuff in VMs, and they have to have it not... So, like, yeah, I'm sure they'll have an option available, but, like...
2: I would suspect that they would not use this particular HP. I mean, it's an Envy, and it's, like, something else.
0: Right, sure. Like, I don't think they'd go out of their way to buy it. I mean, maybe to test it, but...
2: It's on the Elite books and the Elite PC platforms, so... I don't know that... I don't
0: know. Sure, but more to the point, I don't want this to become like a trend because it's going to be harder for researchers to do the research they need to do in that case. Yeah. Which yeah. would lead to weakened detection of that malware inside the guests and ultimately it would hurt the general purpose of it. But
2: Well, that and... You know, being able to do a post mortem on, a, on, a, on yeah. a system that's been infected—I mean, that's that's important too, as well. One of mm. the reasons why we're able to fight CryptoLocker so much or so well at this point now is because of the post mortems that we're able to do. And I say so well—I mean,
0: yeah, you know, we, we have a long way to go, but I am—we're getting surprised at it. That, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll go. I'll
2: and if fear, someone's but... CryptoLocked machine deleted the VM that the browser was running in, you'd have nothing. You'd have nowhere to go to. You know. Mm. And what if the system that runs the virtualization gets compromised? I mean, then you're really screwed, you know?
0: Yeah. But, uh... but, I mean, for the general public, I don't know. See, I would I would see people getting more pissed that they lost whatever they were working on than anything. Yeah, for sure. So I can see it becoming very unpopular, but still a sort of industry trend. So sure. I, I don't know. I guess we'll we'll have to see more on that
2: yeah yeah uh, but keep going okay keep going so it, uh, oh yeah about. lots of stuff lots of stuff so this is on reddit the skype user showing that skype is showing malicious ads uh, we have a screenshot and we have a link to the, the reddit skype of course is saying that there's no way that their ads would do that i don't know if you've seen Some. skype ads but they're almost malware in themselves and one of my favorite things to talk about is that google is taking semantic to the woodshed in quotes for issuing 30,000 HTTPS certs, and they are actually going to immediately stop recognizing the EV status and gradually nullify all these certs. So I'm not really 100% sure what happened with Symantec, but it looks like they just, you know, published the wrong stuff and Kind of screwed themselves a little bit, mm. and then of course the worst of the worst news, the absolute worst thing that could happen, is that S.J. Res. 34, a joint resolution providing for congressional disapproval under Chapter 8 of Title 5, was passed. So this repeals the Obama resolution that provided for net neutrality and ISP uh, privacy from your ISP, and you are now subject to that your ISP selling your information. Mm-hmm so there you go yeah i am i feel you know
0: (sighs) i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's the very worst thing that could ever happen Uh. but it's like i i will acknowledge that's blowing it out of proportion but it does legitimize a practice that we've known has been going on in sort of clandestine environments for a while yeah so now it sort of legitimizes it and makes it even easier and i'm not okay with that sure sure
2: i mean i mean there's probably some good benefit of this, mm. maybe, that we, we don't know of. And this is me being optimistic and, you know, whatever. But at the same time, you know, I just, I want my information. I want my children's information. I don't want, I don't want them to have to reveal their information on the internet unless they absolutely want to, you know.
0: Well, yeah, well, even, even beyond that, like, I, I'm having trouble finding the silver lining here. Yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure there is one, necessarily.
2: Yeah, I may not agree with... All Democratic, all Democrat policies. I may not agree with all Republican policies. But the common sense, reasonable ones like net neutrality, I think, are mm-hmm. ones that you know we should keep regardless. You know, yeah. But that's yeah. that's just me. And
0: you can really make an argument for it for both sides of the fence. It it helps sure. encourage a competitive commerce for you know sure. uh, maybe right leaning sides, and it also helps protect people who might be endangered by leaking information. So for the the left leaning side, so it's it's really it's a benefit to everyone and a boon to everyone to have yeah. that sort of privacy and. Encouraged,
2: right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
0: I don't know. I, I guess we'll see just what kind of effects it it has, but it is pretty far reaching. So we'll see. You know, I, I I have a feeling we're not done with this story. I, but
2: yeah, if it's anything like the Simmer Simmer Dino guy, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be talking about it for a while.
1: Yep, Jaden, what do you J-Town. think? Anything to add? No. Hackathon? I guess, yeah, this will post before. BioFrontiers, which is where I work, BioFrontiers Hackathon, May 2017 in Boulder. It's usually beautiful here. Good networking opportunity. At this point, need some mathematicians, people with statistics background, R programmers couple Java programmers, C and C++ programmers, Python programmers, front-end developers, biologists, a medicinal chemist would be great. <laughs> why so if you're you any of those a, things and do you, do want you want to show up, hackathon.colorado.edu, you can see all the projects that are listed. Uh, there's 13 or 14, I don't remember, and you should sign up if you want to come. And if you decide to sign up and you heard about it through the podcast... Shoot me a, a DM on Twitter or something and let me know who you are because I will do my best to put in a good word.
0: Also, will there is there a need for uh, a medicine man? A medicine man.
1: Yeah, like a shaman. No. <laughs> okay. Why do you ask? <laughs> Just he's a medicinal. <laughs> never mind. Just never mind. A medicinal chemist.
0: <laughs> Jathan, oh sometimes you need to learn that the line between science and magic is very thin and it's almost non-existent.
2: It's almost like this uh, boomerang that I threw, but I forgot how to do it, but it came back to me. <laughs> oh my god. <goodness. laughs> you guys are fucks.
1: <laughs> so fucking stupid. Let's just go on. Right. Let's get to it. Are you
3: guys ready to, to discuss this shit? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Alright, All right, wait. So, I just want to say, I made most of these topics this week again. Oh my god. I mean, you did? Yeah, two of the three. No, I, I'm not bragging. More oh so, I was going to say, this first thing that we're about to discuss, I've... Nope. We're going to talk about that second. Oh.
0: I want to talk about Caddy Server first. Oh, Oh, shit. Get that
1: out of the way. All right. Mm.
0: So what about the second thing?
1: (laughs) All right, so the second thing, uh, we're going to talk about Caddy Server, which basically touts No, no, no. no. We're talking about that first. I said, what about the second thing? Oh. (laughs) The second thing we will be talking about. We will be talking about when it's appropriate to use, utilize, implement, enforce, quality of service filtering and traffic shaping, and a couple of ways of going about doing that. This is kind of a selfish topic because... Admittedly, I don't know that much about it, and mm. I would like to personally know more about it, so I put it on the list. Sounds good. So I'm hoping That's... that Payton's going to carry us in that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he might. He did a lot of VoIP work, and SIP's a, a pretty
2: yeah.
0: QoS-sensitive protocol. You know,
2: yeah, I'll bring up a couple of things here when we get yeah.
0: to that. So let's go right into it. So Jason found a thing called Caddy Server, and it's supposed to be like the Fisher-Price Nginx, is is what I'm, what, what I'm calling it. <laughs> <laughs> because... Like, looking through, I'm not impressed. They make it very easy to use by end users, but as we all know, when you try to make things easy and try to make them do auto-magic things, they fuck up. Mm-hmm. And it seems that it doesn't even have a sort of persistent daemon you need to run it on the command line. Is that correct? No, no.
1: I think that's just, like, a quick sort of example. I would hope so. Cause yeah, no, it's, a, it's just a build-it. Stupid. Yeah, and if you look... Actually, I didn't even check if it's in the AUR or anything, but I imagine it comes with a a unit file. I
0: don't know about that.
1: Let's see. Well, it's definitely in there. I'm going to install it real quick.
0: Don't install it. Just fucking download the tarball and and look at it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like there's... uh,
2: there's
1: Well, Jathan does that. Yeah,
0: so I got to say, I'm not really impressed by it, to be honest. They tout a lot of features... Uh, things like http2 automatic https using let's encrypt ipv6 all that but to me like when you start doing that you lose the ability to understand the underlying technology behind them yeah Mm -hmm. and we see this a lot with containers and part of the reason why i think containers are so broken is because actually we'll we'll talk about that later on the episode too about containerization but Part of the reason I think containers are so broken is because we try and dumb down the concept of system management, both virtualization or really, it's not even full virtualization, but you know, like we try and dumb it down, which is understandable. I mean, you could, got developers mm. who don't want to think twice about having to lock down a box and all this other things, managing a firewall and things like that for a guest, setting up a virtual hypervisor. But with that, you. you You lose a lot of the nuance and you lose a lot of control. And I didn't hear about this at all until today. Caddy? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So admittedly, I'm pretty sure I found it like scrolling through a thread on Slashdot or something like that. And what intrigued me about it was primarily that it basically set up a uh, search for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so I looked it up. And first of all, it's written in Go. Mm-hmm. If you read through the comments on the, the Caddy website or, yeah, on the Caddy website, there's a surprising number of people who are saying like, oh, I switched from NGINX to Caddy and it uses less resources, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's completely capable of multi-threading and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So here's here's my issue with it, I guess. There's a couple things. I am curious to try it because I'm curious how it works. And I think it's an interesting project. And I think that uh,
0: just to butt in, I hesitate to say anything negative before actually trying it. So don't, don't take this as my final opinion of it, but. And in the
1: context of what we just talked about, the bill or lack of bill that, you know, Congress just passed, whatever, Mm. you know, HTTPS is becoming ever more important for securing the web. And so, Did you see the uh, MCTLS thing? There's
0: there's a proposal to basically support man-in-the-middling of TLS. No, I didn't see that.
1: Yeah, it's the IEEE. I'll link to it. So in any case, while I don't think I would switch to something like this, and the reason for me is twofold. One, I think what Brent said earlier is completely valid in that you lack understanding when you just do something that's done for you. That was Mm. kind of a shitty sentence, but you know what I mean. And I'll be the first one to admit, like, I don't know as much about NGINX as a lot of other people do, but I know enough to have my... My website running and I have my own certs in place with Let's Encrypt and such. And that's something like that understanding is not something I would have had without having done it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have that problem. The other thing is is you know this project is young. It's you know they have a stable release, but it doesn't look like they have a whole lot of contributors. So from a security standpoint, I would be hesitant to deploy sort of a young not very well-tested web server in a production environment, especially Mm -hmm. if I were dealing with some kind of sensitive data or, you know, really interacting with people through my website instead of just serving static content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm in the same boat. I thought that it was really interesting. And if anybody has used it, I'd be really interested to hear about your experience. I personally am glad to see NGINX overtaking, not quite, but, you know, working its way up in market share and competing with Apache more. Yeah. What I really like about NGINX is the configuration is stupid simple comparatively, I think, and mm-hmm. the amount of resources that NGINX uses compared to Apache is just astounding. Mm-hmm. It's so much less. So anyway, I just thought this was interesting because I have been working on my site more heavily. I definitely will try it out, probably in a virtual machine or something like that, maybe for something at work that's not like, you know... Very high con- consequence if something were to happen to it. Sure.
0: Yeah. Sure.
1: I think I'll probably follow the project. I'm not into Go, so there's no chance that I'm going to contribute or anything like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd be interested to see where the project goes over the next, you know, months, years, whatever. Are you in
0: a I'm looking. It? I. <laughs> I'm looking through the issues on GitHub, it has 75 open, 887 closed, so at least they're active in trying to resolve these things, but I'm seeing some things that really have me worried. Things like browse, wrong alphabetic ordering. The ordering for alphabetics is wrong on like file listing pages and stuff. Browse implement options of prop find, get returns 412 on matching e-tag, which definitely should not happen log duplicated to access to local directory access log so there's some yeah i would really hesitate deploying this to production at least
1: at the moment.
0: It does not support anything that NGINX doesn't support. That's That's true.
1: Yeah, there's nothing novel you'll get by using it compared to NGINX.
0: And I would say that the people who are seeing better performance out of Caddy than NGINX probably haven't tried tuning the performance of NGINX. There's a lot of things you can do there with, like, caching and pooling and all sorts of other things. It even supports balancing right in there. So... It also, go ahead. I mean, that's just it. Like a lot of people don't dig down deep into Engine Essentials.
1: That's completely true.
0: So I think a lot of the performance increases are because it implements these sort of things out of the box, which, you know, is, is nice for new users. But at the same time, if you've got an app that breaks with caching, you're going to have no
1: idea to look for that. Yeah, absolutely. So two things. One, it does have a systemd unit with it for the AUR at least. Mm-hmm. So even if you're using another distro like CentOS 7 or something, you should be able to pull that if you need it. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is another point in terms of performance, You know, even using something like Nginx, if you wanted to render Markdown, you'd have to have some kind of engine to turn that into HTML for you, be it you know, like a Python framework mm-hmm. or something like that. But it seems that Caddy can do that for you. So having just one less service running could account for a lot of that as well yeah i i don't know see at that point like oh so a big criticism of
0: system d and i don't want to make this another system d episode because we've had a lot of and i'll i'll link to to our in-depth one i don't want to make this another system d episode but one of the biggest criticisms of criticisms of system d is that it breaks the so-called unix philosophy of doing one thing and doing it well or or having one particular thing handle one particular service or, or function or whatever Now, there is a counterpoint to that, which I mentioned and go into detail on that episode, so I'm not going to go into it here, but it seems that Caddy breaks that as well. They roll, in my opinion, a bit too much into it.
2: Well, it looks like it's just one of those I can do everything for you. All you have to do is write or, you know, put stuff in and it will, it will, yeah. Like you're saying, I don't like that. I want to, I want to write the HTML myself. I want to write the, you know, the CSS myself as much as possible. I mean, I know I'm not a web designer, so. I
0: mean, there's a reason with Nginx you need separate parsing engines sure. for PHP and, and CGI scripts and stuff. There's a reason for that. You know, like yeah. the more you roll into your service, the more, what am I trying to say? The more well, points of failure you have. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know. I feel really hesitant about the idea. I get what they're trying to do, I totally get it. But
1: I, I mean, it looks cool, you know. Yeah, yeah I'm, I mean, I'm not ready it's to call shiny. it the devil or anything. No, 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 I would like to give it a fair chance. I'm just yeah, telling you. Yeah. I mean, for the features that it offers in a configuration that's, like, easier than Nginx to understand, mm-hmm. would I use it? Even if I liked using it, I probably wouldn't for the security aspect alone, right? It's just not tested enough for me. Mm-hmm. But would I recommend it to other people or would I run it in like a container situation where something had to be st- like stood up in a container for, you know, like something you're going to stand up in Amazon that's for, you know, three to five days for a specific mm. use case? I would possibly consider it. I'm not going to lie.
2: As long as S2 doesn't go down. <laughs> S3. S3. S2, S2, S3. Again. Yeah. yeah.
0: I could see that. I, I don't mean, know. I just, I I think just that have they're... a bad feeling about it. So it's just, it feels too shiny to me, I think is what it is. The documentation is kind of really you know
1: I don't no, know I'm, I'm just, totally with you trust me I am with you
0: Yeah I mean the documentation is there but it's like nobody's going to be looking at it and it advertises itself directly on the front page as for designers for bloggers and for developers Frankly speaking, those are three of the people I would not want running a web server. <laughs> a web server daemon.
2: On their on their systems, no less.
0: Well, maybe, yeah, sure. You know what but so like, internet accessible like that. I've seen what happens when that happens.
1: What about, okay, so what about somebody who's, like, my age, you know, t- mid-twenties, and mm-hmm. they are a photographer on the side? So would you prefer that they use something like Caddy over deploying a site with Wix or Squarespace or some of that bullshit like that?
0: I guess that's a whole nother can of worms. I think they should really go the route of trusting other people to do what they know how to do. Yeah. I don't think there's any shame in getting a third party to host your site. The problem I have with those third party sites is they still don't do things right. I know Wix has had an issue with SSL certs for domains for a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's resolved yet or not. Right. So stuff like that.
1: And yeah, I I don't know. It's a tough question. Well, because, you know, that's like a thing that I see happening. People around me. And, you know, that was really a specific example. There's somebody I'm acquaintances with were Facebook friends, and they recently posted, like, their website, like, oh, look what I did using Wix. And it's like, Mm. you know, had they just asked me, I probably could have hosted their shit for, like, you know, free, basically. Sure. Done a better job, and they wouldn't (laughs) be locked in. Yeah.
0: Well, that's sort of the other thing is where would they run Caddy if they did go that route? That's
2: true.
1: You know? Yeah. They would still need... They would, yeah, yeah. They would need either a VPS. It's certainly something that you, you know, you couldn't get a HostGator or GoDaddy yeah. and be like, oh, give me Caddy. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because at that point, it's just like Wix. It's just one level lower. Right. You know, instead of giving that abstracted web design interface, you you would just have FTP access and SCP access and stuff. So, yeah, I understand what they're trying to do, and I appreciate it, but I don't think it's going to be
1: very good. Okay. <laughs> Well, we'll see where it goes, right? Yeah. No,
2: yeah we'll, no, what will we'll be, we do we'll when, when you know, the caddy developer comes on and is like, hey, you guys, what the heck? <laughs>
3: I would be happy I to have a conversation to. with sure, him. Sure. I welcome him to
1: yeah, or, yeah, yeah.
0: or, or them to or whatever. Yeah, I totally am all for having the product developers on the on this podcast, rather. That'd be great. Bring it. So the second point, j asks, when is it appropriate to use, utilize, implement, a force QoS filtering and traffic shaping and a few ways of doing so. I can say how I do it in my VM lab and stuff like that. I, we've talked about before, I run my own router slash gateway. It's a a straight up Linux box, x86-64. I do it with TC rules, which are built right into Shorewall. Shorewall has built in sort of prioritization via QoS. And I combine that with VLAN tagging. So I can prioritize a certain network to a certain level because I do have a a VoIP phone, a SIP phone on one of those networks, specifically, you know, as a a network dedicated to SIP stuff. So it gets higher priority. Sure. But Payton has had a lot of history in in the VoIP industry. So I'd like to hear what sort of input he has on this. Uh,
2: Well, we actually really tried not to... We really tried not to stress QoS to people or we tried to, you know, minimize as much as possible, you know, having them... Really try to restrict the service that we provide provided to them. At least there are some people who, of course, who who went a little nuts with it and were like, "Oh yeah, I've got you on a separate VLAN and a separate this and was, oh, all right, whatever." But I mean, realistically, you know, I mean, QoS is QoS is fantastic for VoIP in that you can keep your traffic from experiencing too much jitter you know you can you mm. can prevent your license lat- latency from being too high
0: the reason i vlan tag my yeah. my sip vlan is so i can give it higher priority yeah. you know i've got a default priority for all the other traffic and then i, I give a higher priority to right because you don't
1: want to drop a phone call because your you know right. roommate is streaming netflix <laughs> right exactly Which, oh my
2: exactly.
1: gosh yes well so i i yeah, so it's, it's sort of like,
0: it's not called that, but it's sort of like a reverse quality of service sort of a thing where you downplay all the other traffic in favor of one service as opposed to disfavoring one particular service.
2: I mean, generally speaking, the people who called us and, and said, hey, you know, how would you us?" this? I'd say, well, you know, generally speaking, I just, you know, make it a priority and everything else needs to needs to not be. I mean, I mean, realistically, the best thing that you could have done, and I would tell them, is have a separate connection for your VoIP, really. I mean, you know, and then people be like, well, I'm going to get a three meg line down and dedicate 500k to phones is that enough <laughs> uh, like that's two a, calls well, first off that's
3: a that's a highly 80. subjective yeah
2: <laughs> that's you know you might get a couple calls in every now and then yeah you know i mean like qos is one of those things that people don't understand well yeah. enough the ceo wants it because of course this traffic can't be stalled at all damn the phones but you know hey whatever yeah i just you know we we generally refrain from telling them what to do and how to do it and we said, hey, you can do, you can QoS your lines out all you want. I mean, go ahead. You know, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to make you do whatever or make you mm-hmm. have to do, uh, you know. We don't require a certain type of QoS for our service to work at the time. So I, I don't know if I'm really answering your question or not. <laughs> oh, that's, I guess that answers
1: the question I asked. Well, Jason,
0: what, yeah, I was about to ask, what implementation are you looking to solve with
1: QoS? So I don't know if my problem is appropriate to solve with QoS, and I don't want to go into too many details because this is an interesting... NDA, uh, I'm sorry, All the details. I don't really have an NDA, fortunately, but... Hmm. So I have a particular system. We're going to imagine it as a single unit, right? Yeah. And I need to allow people to connect to a certain location from there. Like another
0: machine? Sort like a jump box kind of a
1: thing? It's to move data.
0: Okay. So it's a sort of a data broker almost.
1: Yeah. But but here's the thing is this place that they're connecting to where the data actually lives is sort of touchy. It's older. It's a little finicky. It doesn't like to have a whole lot of traffic moving in and out any one time. Mm. And the reason is actually because of the disks that are inside of it sort of just choke under heavy reads and writes. Mm -hmm. It's by design. It's not meant to be like uber fast storage or anything. It's meant to be, you know, not going anywhere. Sure, sure. So I would like to allow people to freely connect to this from a certain location, but I don't want them to take the whole box down and bring it to its knees because I'm allowing them to do that. But as it is right now, a lot of people are sort of moving data in the same similar workflow from the same place. So I end up, you know, spending half the day just moving data for people because they don't have a way to do it themselves. So my question is, is the appropriate way to do it, allow them to mount it, but put in some kind of filtering, like a quality of service type thing, or like a hard bandwidth limit somehow that says, basically, you can connect to this and you can use it whenever you want, but this is the maximum speed you're ever going to see to and from this place.
3: Well,
0: that's, I mean, that's basically what a QoS would do. Would do, what, right, exactly. What traffic shaping would do, but the, more to the point, yeah, I can see that being a way to address the problem you're having, I would probably just have it cached to RAM and then, you know, buffer to RAM and then write to disk. Cache is the wrong word. Cache means write to disk. Buffer to RAM and then write to disk gradually. I don't know if that endpoint has enough memory to do that, though. Yeah, that's the thing. I
1: don't think it does. And it's actually more so
0: reading than writing. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And actually, yeah, so that's the thing, is writing, there is actually a very nice cache in place. mm -hmm. There are log and cache devices set up in the context of zfs sure and it's more so reading and it's not so much that i think one person is going to just make the whole thing shit itself it's that you know at a bunch anyone... of people at once it, yeah exactly yeah, sure. how are they accessing
0: those files like over currently protocol?
1: well currently they're not <laughs> okay so so the reason it's okay right now is because the only way they can access it is from the wired or wireless network by way of smb mm. so they will just as you know the most that they'll have going to their computer is you know maybe 10 gigabit but most likely it's one gigabit so the network is always going to be the bottleneck so i don't have to worry about it but where i'm considering opening this up to you know it'd be basically like a 40 gigabit line between the two Mm -hmm. so at that point you know that's not going to be where it would get bottlenecked yeah
0: I don't know. I mean, Samba does have client-side caching, but that doesn't really help you if, you know. Mm -hmm. I, uh, man, honestly, at that point, I would say, like, just opt for better storage hardware at that point. Like, yeah, you could probably hack something together with some traffic shaping and it'd work, I guess. But, you know, like, typically what you would see traffic shaping for is actual network throughput not really trying to account for a weakness on an endpoint right
1: yeah and so the one solution that i've been working with personally because like i said i'm moving the data right now Mm -hmm. so i'll kick three or four of these off at one time and i just use rsync with a bandwidth limit flag Yeah. But of course, I know to do that and I know that limitation. I can't force everyone to do that. Yeah. I also can't actually give them access by way of rsync. So it would have to be basically SMB or NFS.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting conundrum. I would definitely say that you could probably implement some sort of flow rate. Which is basically just traffic shaping in QoS uh, under a different name. You can do that in IP tables. I have no idea how to do it manually because I your shore wall to it because it's, it's going to be like probably 15
1: <laughs> lines of rules just for well, one. You know, it gets even funnier when I tell you that one point is Solaris. So.
0: <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So yeah, it definitely gets complex and I don't offhand know, I don't know Solaris well enough to know if it supports
1: traffic shaping <laughs> rules natively. I don't really know if it supports itself, so. <laughs> okay all Good right fucking archaic shit right
2: oh nfs <laughs> well,
0: solaris specifically is just showing its age yeah i <sighs> i don't actually hate solaris for the record yeah i would say it's probably going to be your best option it's not really what it's designed to fix
1: right no I've, i i but... am well aware of that it's more so like is this a possible hack that i could yeah. implement for the next, you know,
0: I would say it's a creative way of addressing the problem, which is in the end what all hacks are. Yeah. 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 I would say give it a shot and see how it goes. I know in Linux, it's as I said, it's done through the TC utility. Right. Traffic control, I think it is. But I have no idea what that would be under Solaris. So you might have to do that if you have if you have like a smart switch or a smart router in place on that network, you, yeah. it might have to be done there. Yeah,
1: I think that's that's probably how it would have to be.
0: Yeah, and there you're on your own because I definitely don't know your hardware and, and stuff like that, so... Usually with traffic shaping, if the usage policy allows for it, like if I control all of the devices on that network, I'll try and implement it on the endpoints, on the clients, on the servers. Right. If I don't, I'll probably try and do it on the network level. But that's, I mean, that's just sort of general approach. Yeah, I I don't really have much else to say about it. We can go in more in depth if listeners want to hear us do like a, a whole episode on it. But yeah, I I'd actually that's just thought the, of a good, basic ins and outs. good yeah. idea
1: for an episode though. What's that? We should just talk about, like, the wonkiest way we solved a fucking problem <laughs> in, in a production environment. Yeah. I, yeah, I'll have to think about that. Like, I'm totally down for it. I would just have
0: to
2: think about what that would be. Uh, yeah, me too. All
0: right, cool. Any other I, comments on this topic?
2: I feel like I was expected to talk more about Kevick Shaping, and and I just...
1: Oh. Didn't I was know. mostly mostly kidding. <laughs> I figured it was something that Brent had more experience with in his line of work. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean... Cordial really didn't. We didn't really like care if you traffic shaped. We didn't care mm. about QoS. All we wanted you to have was, you know, no kind of firewalling, you know, or any kind of like. And I'm saying yeah. this wrong, but it didn't matter to us uh, if you did. Or That's
0: the, yeah. That wasn't that wasn't the point of contention that would cause most issues. Yeah. Right. 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 Right.
2: Right. right yeah. Right, right. And I will
0: concede to that. Like most SIP issues, are probably ninety percent going to be your your firewall. Yeah, which is why yeah, stun servers are, which is why stun servers are so important. But yeah, let's move away from that. Okay. I will say though that in the instances where I've had to implement traffic shaping in my current place that's usually i usually do that at layer seven even so some applications support right. filtering and that's nice because it lets you kind of apply more refined rules to that actual shaping but if i needed to i could probably do it at a lower level sure well it's also
1: easier to change it on an as needed basis that way sure yeah easier to whitelist and things like that so for our third wait topic, i have one more question actually. yes Do you know of a way in the context of Linux specifically to basically implement a QoS policy on a per user basis? Like, could I just say like, that's you know, this question. user always hogs all the bandwidth. I want them to only be able to, you know, whatever.
0: Well, you might be able to user with... User
2: or, like, MAC address? Uh,
0: no, no, no. I'm, I'm thinking, like, user.
1: something you implement on a machine. Like UID. Yeah.
0: You might be able to with the IP IP table's layer 7 plugin. Hmm. I know that it... does have some user-specific rules there that you can do, but I don't know if it as Support for traffic shaping. Okay. Well, maybe we'll look that up and stick something yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it in the errata if I come up with anything interesting.
2: What about using layer eight to uh, prevent someone from doing too much? Uh... What,
0: you just tie their hands together?
2: <laughs> Give them a sedative? <laughs> layer eight is my favorite layer because you can really do a lot with it. <laughs> oh my <gosh. laughs>
0: Fuck. For those who have no idea what we're talking about, I sometimes try and remember that we don't always. Our listeners don't always know what the hell we're talking about because they're not all the Marcus men's. Layer. <laughs> When we say layer it's referring to the OSI model which I'll link. It's kind of a theoretical model mostly, but a lot of things do neatly fit into the categories and there's different the idea of it is there's different layers of technology involved in the network stack. Mm-hmm. And layer 7 is the application layer. Layer 8 is an unofficial layer that's kind of t- passed around as a joke and that is the user layer. So that's the actual human at the keyboard is layer 8.
2: AKA picnic. The what? Picnic problem problem chair not a computer.
0: right or or pepcac or yeah yeah, it's the wetware layer (laughs) which is not an official layer according to osi standard but you know whatever so i'm gonna move away from that topic because i I feel like we don't have much else to say on it currently we've we've beaten it down we have beaten it down into the ground past the point of no (laughs) return right Right. (laughs) So to close out the discussion section, our friend Jerry from the Admin Admin Podcast emailed us in response to Season 2, Episode 3. By the way, Jerry, and anyone else who listening, we now have support for comments directly on the show note articles. So if you'd like your comment to be viewable by other users, you can go ahead and add a comment to the show notes directly. And obviously I have to approve it because we've already gotten some spam. But yeah, so it's a, a nice way of sort of discussing a topic without it having to be relayed by us. Us. Goddamn spammers. Oh, calm down. But if you prefer to contact us directly too, that's fine.
2: Hakuna your titles Jacob. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh. So Jerry wrote in and he said and he spoke to our kind of bashing Amazon's big fail. Which we also did in an S2E2. <laughs> and we did a little bit this episode too. Because it's just it's so funny. It's so funny, but he said, you know, he spoke in defense of the cloud movement and of DevOps and he wrote specifically, he wrote a lot of stuff, but this allows you to programmatically bring up and tear down infrastructure just by writing code to do so. Yeah, sure. But the response I had to that personally, and I don't know if you guys read the email. Have both of you read it? Yes. Okay. Payton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I would say my response to that is maybe we shouldn't be writing code to do that. We've seen a lot of issues, not just because of the. I don't want to say developers are stupid because they know a lot of stuff I don't, but it's not their specialized knowledge. Running a system is not their specialized knowledge. So I will say that we are smart in different areas and containerization and the cloud, sort of things like that, it sort of appeals to them saying this is handled automatically by machines. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to know anything about it. And you can probably ask any developer why having a machine write code is a bad idea. It's the same sort of concept, you know. The nuance is lost. I said this earlier with Caddy. The nuance is lost. You don't know how to look for problems, and you don't know how to. There's just something. I don't want to get all hippy dippy about this, but there's something kind of <laughs> Too late. Some... Yeah, whatever. There's something like kind of intimate about a... between a sysadmin or a sys engineer or whatever, and and the systems they maintain. You know, it's kind of sacred because we know the machines like the back of our hand if we're worth our salt, anyways. You know, we can say, oh, it's almost six o'clock. I know that this machine is going to have this particular issue. You know, we know to expect and anticipate that stuff and find solutions to it. We know how machines behave. We know how aberrant they may be to the spec. We know all sorts of things about this that machines don't really know how to account for. And we talked about this more in our episode where we talk about AI taking systems jobs. So I don't want to rehash that, but that's essentially what the cloud, quote, unquote, and containerization and the whole other DevOps stuff tries to do. They try and remove that human element from systems maintenance and systems administration. And I don't... I think that's a recipe for disaster. Um, Yeah, I'm probably biased because that's my job I'm talking about and I care a lot about my job. But at the same time, we've seen some severe fuck-ups from it,
1: you know? Well, yeah, I go both ways with this. I mean, I don't think... I don't know. Well, it's hard for me to sit here and bash on it, having not done it. Like, I personally think that having hardware that is backed in a high availability capacity or an elasticity capacity by like the Amazon cloud or some other cloud is not the worst thing.
0: What would be the worst thing?
1: I think having all your services in the cloud is the worst thing. Okay, but that's because why is that? I don't know, because I haven't tried either way. Mm. I like going downstairs and being able to touch my own hardware. (laughs) That sounds like weird and fucked up. No, (laughs) I mean, I like being able to go downstairs. If I have to reset something, I can reset something. If I want to plug into something, I can plug into something I like knowing where it lives. I like knowing the complete architecture of the network and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that with the cloud exactly like you do if you run your own data center or whatever. Sure. I also think that it's sort of the same problem that we talked about with Caddy. I think that there are so many sort of pre-engineered, and that was in air quotes, solutions that are built for the cloud that people rely on and use that at the end of the day, they don't actually understand how it's working or how all the components of whatever service they're running fit together. Mm -hmm. And I think that presents a really big problem when they do run into some kind of downtime or issue or something breaks not having the intimacy having not done it all yourself i think is a big problem so i don't think the cloud is inherently evil though i do i shit on it all the time i do think that the way and maybe this is what i should say to clarify is i don't hate the cloud i hate the way that the cloud is being used and who is using the cloud
2: yeah i agree with that
1: i think the cloud could be a a God, this this sounds really fucking weird and abstract. I think the cloud could be a better place. If, <laughs> <laughs> I think the cloud could be a better place if people were not just using it because it were, were easy. I think if people were using the cloud because it were the right solution for any given task and they weren't just reaching, it would be better. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I, I
1: mean, I think people are drawn to the cloud so they make their solution in the cloud but the cloud is not the best case for all of the solutions for which people are using it at this point.
0: Yeah. i say that's a better way of phrasing that for sure. And we kind of saw this with the GitLab meltdown, right? With their yeah. hosted services. So again, I cannot stress this enough. They handled it great. Their human component. And you know, I guess this is typical of the dev- DevOps movement. The human component is fantastic, but the technical component. Yeah. Yeah. If you had an experience that meltdown most likely would not have happened. Number you're talking one, about S, S3 and Amazon? No, 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 GitLab.
1: Oh. Well,
2: I mean, I was going to say, Amazon had the same issue. They had all their stuff hosted on the cloud, and all of a sudden, they couldn't even get to the status page, you know?
1: Right. No. But... Well, you're talking about Amazon now. Yeah.
0: I was right. talking about GitLab specifically. No, because I disagree a... with
1: you. How so? I think, well, there's a couple things. I think that the way they recovered it, they still had to have some experience among them. Mm. Yeah, okay. Whatever, you can disagree. But the other thing about that is, at the end of the day, what it came down to for GitLab, I think, was a lack of auditing of their backups. No. Yeah. Yes, it was, because they would have spent so much less time... The mistake is one thing, but how you recover from a mistake makes all the difference. And the fact that so many of their backup methods were fucked up and broken, that has nothing to do with an admin. I mean, a C-level could walk into your office and be like, I want to see an audit of... The backups from the last 30 days and whoever you are that's responsible for that you should be able to produce that in a you know readable meaningful output for that person but nobody I'm not, I'm be not, it an admin or an engineer or you know a devops member whatever the fuck i don't know what their organization looks like but nobody had called for that type of audit in such a long time that their backups were completely broken and nobody had realized it
0: i'm not saying that that's not a problem and i'm not saying that that's not a very big part of the problem What I'm saying is you've got a guy who ran an RM-RF on the entirely wrong server simply yeah. because of the host name. And that combined with the lack of backups. That, to me, is the problem. Because an experienced sysadmin, they don't do that, you know? Yeah, if you're a junior, you've probably done it one or, once or twice. I know I have when I was a junior. I've done some well, mistaken RM-RFs.
2: Format C colon.
1: Sure, sure, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if I would call myself a junior, but I gave myself a baddie for it. Like, I don't know, it was sometime last season for running a script, basically. I pasted a script into the wrong server and ran it right I mean it was completely fucking idiotic and of course I had to fix it then
0: my, well my point is that's rookie but I level, think it can happen but... to anybody <sighs> See, no, I, my, my point is you make a mistake often enough. You don't make it again. Yeah. And that's why you have senior guys because they've made the mistake enough times that now they know how to not make that, make it again.
1: So how many times do you run the fucking host name command in a day? Well, you probably do more than most people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also, we use
0: unique short names, so
1: that's not an issue, but. Oh yeah, that's smart. Well, it depends what your prompt looks like, right?
0: well sure yeah but like that's because that's just a smart thing to to do and i know that because i have rm-rf boxes you know so i put that policy in place where it's got to be a unique short name it's or display the entire fqdn you know i already knew that ahead of time before something bad happened so that plus i like just this week the reason it's such a hell week for me is because i'm auditing backups because i actually do that shit so
1: what that's not funny don't laugh (laughs) paid yeah it is it, funny. It is a little
2: funny. That's what people should be doing, and they don't do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I well, just had to do it. I literally made or wrote a script that checked for the data on the front, verified that the backup data from the night before matched the data on the front side from the night before. And I literally had it print out, you know, like 50 pages, and I went through line by line mm-hmm. and made sure that it matched. Yeah.
0: And is that's, that the
1: best way to do it? Oh, probably, probably not. not but, but you did it, though. And that's my
0: point. Exactly. But more to that, though. You're not, okay, have you, since your fiasco with, what, what was it, user bin or slash bin? Oh,
1: no, that was a long time ago. It was slash bin. Slash
0: yeah. bin. Okay, so since your your fiasco with that, have you made that mistake since?
1: Nope. I haven't used a fucking relative path in a puppet module ever since.
0: Okay. I think the keyword there is ever since. And why do you think you do that? Because
1: it fucked me over once and it's not going to fuck me over again. And that's my point. That's why Because I had to fix it.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, cuz you had to fix it. And once you fix it, yeah. you, you know how much of a pain in the ass it is whether you have backups or not. Like that's not so much the issue. backups are something you should rely you should be able to rely upon but never have to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, point.
1: and that's yeah. <laughs> wait, there's another part of that though. How's that? Just because you never need a backup doesn't mean you shouldn't check it, right? like mm-hmm. you should always try to just randomly recover a fucking file from your backup or something and make sure it works. Sure. And, you know, actually that'd be a really great topic also for a future show is how do you properly audit backups in a way that you're confident that the audit is, you know, evident that you're doing backups properly. Do you take the sum of every single file that gets backed up? Well, maybe if you're only backing up 100 gigs, but what happens when you're talking about 10 petabytes? What do you do then? Yeah, I guess
0: that all comes down to the actual implementation. Well, yeah, and that... I
1: personally know how I do mine, but people might have different views on it, and if you have never done it before, you might have no fucking idea. Oh, you want to actually get into
0: specifics of it? Yeah, I think it'd be This a, is probably a good... where Mtree... Remember when I showed you Mtree? Yeah, but I haven't used it yet. I want to. <laughs> I have it written down at work. Alright, well, Mtree is fantastic. It's natively on BSE, but there's a Linux export what it does is it lets you it basically maps out a directory a, a directory hierarchy of files and directories and such and there's various filters you can apply you can tell to get a certain checksum or hash of each file you can tell to even track the attributes the extended attributes the ownership the mode all sorts of things and what i would do is maybe do a restore of that backup to a non-production environment grab an entry snapshot of that so you have like a map of what is there and then run the same mtree snapshot again. You can use mtree files or spec files, I call them. You can use mtree spec files to like sort of compare directories too. So then I would just use that spec file to compare against what's in prod and make sure that everything that is different should be different. And that's probably going to be the best way to go about that. Now, if you've got like, I can see that biting you in the ass if you're like backing up a cache directory. But number one, why are you backing up a cache directory? And number two, like, if you've got that many files, you might want to sort of reduce your data set, in which case you maybe take one or three files from each directory and subdirectory and compare them. It's not going to be a complete assurance, but, you know, you got to do with what you can do with what time you have. So, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, all that to say, I think we're all on the same page here. We probably go about audits and such in a different way, but sure. we're also all working in different environments. So that's a pretty reasonable thing. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yep. I mean, I know for a fact that I sat there one day and I did RM rf In front of a senior, uh I, I use the term senior. He's actually younger than me, but he's been at the job longer than I have. And mm-hmm. I yeah, did, I, mean, that's, I did that's that, that, that. Senior means right, right, right. I did that in front of him. And he says, "He says, don't ever use f in an enterprise environment." And I said, "Ah, yeah, okay." And oh. I mean, you know, I learned that lesson really quick because mm-hmm. I don't want to force delete a directory that I shouldn't.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that sentiment, but hey, man, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Empty every directory first? <laughs> Well, I mean, see, here's the thing. So th- it does, if
0: interactively deleting, you know, leaving out the F, the force, does make you think about things. Yeah, but, but if you've got a directory like of like five thousand files and it's a cache directory, yeah. that does get kind of to be an issue. Sure, maybe do like a find dot slash type f and just view all the files that you would be deleting first sure but yeah like it all comes down to how you want to implement protections against that at
1: your company and it depends what you're comfortable with in your environment yeah
0: but we're getting off topic my point is i don't really see a good defense of devops especially the
1: way it's currently being implemented that being said i use devops every day so fuck off oh my gosh
2: I think the term DevOps is grabbed too quickly and too, it's too often. It's used
1: improperly, for sure. But it's
2: just like the cloud, it's just like, you Mm -hmm. know, every other term out there.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely.
2: I think that if you're specifically looking for DevOps, then you you need to know exactly what a DevOps does in the first place. Yeah, let's actually,
0: let's define that right now. When I say DevOps in a sort of deriving manner, deriding, rather, manner like this, I'm referring to the DevOps movement, the DevOps culture, and what HR usually, what HR and C-level usually think are DevOps, in which case they think they're getting an admin for the price of a programmer and vice versa. They think they're getting two for the price of one. Mm -hmm. That's not what Actual DevOps is. Actual DevOps, which I've actually yet to maybe see done properly, is the concept that Sysamins develop tools that integrate into their environment that will let developers have a more integrated experience in deployment. That's it.
1: So Well, and that's what it is on a technical level, but at an organization level, the development operations team, depending where you're working and what project you're working on, has nothing to do with what Brent just said. And it has entirely to do with, literally, operations for, like, the development team.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I honestly, like, I am more... The way I say it is what we had before it wasn't broke so why so stop trying to fucking fix it you know yep. we had slower rollouts of software we had less things publicly breaking we had more you know it, we had all these sort of benefits that we've lost now because we tr- well, we just want to push as fast as possible because we've got this idea that you know release early release often applies to wide scale production and it doesn't
2: have you read the uh, phoenix project no well they it's an interesting book about the devops movement and, and whatnot and they talk about how like amazon does like 10,000 deployments a day or whatever. And I yeah. just, you know, I could see where like, maybe amazon could do that but at the same time you know i don't think foxy proxy could do 10,000 deployments a day you know like you're just not set up for that you know no
0: like i could probably do i don't want to say the exact number but i can i can do more than you think but it's not going to be 10,000 certainly not
2: right right and that's that's what i'm saying i mean like you know the thing is like the book is great if you're talking about like a large-scale enterprise like Mm. I guess myself or j or whatever. Sure, you could probably do a thousand or or so a day. But I mean, realistically, DevOps, I think, well, I don't know. I kind of lost where I was going. Yeah,
0: I think I get what you're trying to say. Okay. Most people are applying DevOps when they don't need it. Yes,
2: yes, yes, absolutely. Okay,
0: yeah yeah like i don't know of any company besides the big name players like google amazon uh mm-hmm. apple even microsoft they're the ones actually turning out this they do it because they need it
1: well and like look at the sre position which is not exactly tied straight to devops but that was developed that position that role mm-hmm. was defined by google to fill a to fulfill a need that they had yeah and i think that they do it very well i think that you know, Apple's definition or what an SRE looks like at Apple and, you know, Oracle, they look fairly similar.
0: If your employee count isn't in the thousands, you don't need a DevOps team.
1: That's probably true. And that's what I'm trying to say here. I is agree with that too. The people who have followed Google in terms of like defining that type of position, mm-hmm. I think have done it because they have a legitimate need for it. But, sure. you know, like where I work, I could call myself a site reliability engineer, but I'd be lying. Oh, I
0: mean, mean, you got to keep the boxes up. You do disk replacements, that makes you a
1: SRE. No, that's (laughs) fucked up. No, because what defines an SRE to me is not how you do your job in terms of like the actual operations, but the principles by which you work, right? Like SREs have like, you know, work with developers. Between the SREs and the developers, they can handle like a 0.01% downtime per whatever period of time. That's how much room they have to experiment and implement new things, basically i don't know you know if that number is exact or whatever else but it has nothing to do with how they're actually doing it i don't think anyone gives a fuck how they're deploying things and whatever it just so happens that in that capacity and what they have to work with something like puppet or ansible or another orchestrated type of environment is a better option but i don't think that the role itself is defined by using those types of things
0: Uh, i don't know that's getting a little bit too into the how do you define a position thing like
1: yeah, well, and it's kind of irrelevant, too, so yeah, there's that. Yeah. yeah,
0: it is kind of getting off topic.
1: And we still have to get to the baddie. Yeah, yeah good get. thing, because I'm almost out of wine, and this is a whole <laughs> bottle, so let's talk about the baddie. All right, go Angie. ahead, take it. So this baddie was brought to us in part by Brent, and it was actually just published today on something called the Marmalab blog, which I assume is just a person? I think so. So the title of the article is, How I Found a Vulnerability Leaking User Credentials. Oh, it's not a very good title, because it doesn't make sense. It's
0: all super long.
1: Yeah, in Red Hat's Ravello mm-hmm. Systems. Never heard of No,
0: It tells you what it is. What is if Ravelo we were... Systems and how Red Hat uses it.
1: Yeah, so I'm not going to read this whole thing, because it's super long, <laughs> but... Basically, this guy's writing Kevin K-Vane. I don't, I don't know how he says his name. It's got a weird accent. It does. That's, I'm sorry. The accental grave in French, yeah. yes. But the opening here is, I found the credentials. Goddamn, every time we get to the baddie I'm drunk.
2: <laughs> That's the intent.
1: <laughs> I found the credentials of a Red Hat solution architect and was able to log into the revello Systems account. It's a good opportunity to learn something. You need to know that I'm not a security researcher and my only goal is to raise minimum awareness about security. Let's transform this into a case study. So he goes on to basically talk about the impact of this credentials leak, what Ravello Systems is and how Red Hat uses it. And very briefly, basically, it's so that Red Hat can run VMware workloads on public clouds. So, you know, Amazon instances, Googles, cloud, whatever the fuck they call it. Mm. Yeah. He also talks about what he had access to with those credentials. Yeah, which is the pretty mm. interesting part. But so, let's... essentially the way he found this was he went to Red Hat's GitHub repository and just searched for things like, he's got a list of things here that he searched for. Mm. Basically, where the fuck is it? I know it's in here. I don't know. Where is it? Well, in any case, he searched for things like removed credentials, credentials or, yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. <laughs> so Delete so password, basically, remove, Yeah. Yeah, so it was basically people had accidentally committed – shut the fuck up, Peyton. People had committed and pushed files that have passwords and credentials and security tokens and keys embedded in the files to GitHub and then later removed them. Mm Mm-hmm. So this person was very responsible. They tried some of them, and most of them were already inactive. So the people, as soon as they made the mistake, they fixed, you know, they changed their password, whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. The second thing is for the few people that he found whose accounts still worked, he actually reached out to them right away and was like, look, I found this. It's still working. And within a couple of hours, he said everybody responded, essentially. good. So kudos to the Red Hat, you know, engineers who... Were involved in this
0: engineers mm-hmm. and uh, all the other uh all the other projects too I, th- I think it was more than just red hat but red hat is yeah. definitely the biggest name probably yeah
1: so i'm kind of rambling here at this point but there's a list here of exactly what he found aws access keys MongoDB connection uris with login and password twitter api credentials github account credentials gmail account credentials wow that's a pretty big one mm-hmm. wow Wow. So, you know, he's got some suggestions here. What can we learn from this? Don't commit credentials is the obvious one. Use a password manager so we're not sharing passwords between services such that if one password gets compromised, the rest are still okay. Use two-factor auth. And learn how to use includes in your code. Yeah. And as an admin, create individual accounts and grant least privilege.
0: But more so,
1: like, learn how to use includes in config files and stuff. <laughs> oh, no, it's completely worth it. Yeah. So... All that to say, Red Hat engineers, I think you guys handled this like champions, but you still fucked up, and we're sorry, but you're getting a patty. Oh my gosh,
3: that was like the
2: longest baddie. That was, seriously.
1: But it was so good, like it, everyone's it enjoying themselves right now, I can tell.
2: <laughs> I
1: am sure. totally Fuck enjoying Fuck
2: it, this. we're doing it live. <laughs> Fuck
0: we, it, we're... we just did it live, this is the end of the show, j <laughs> Although it's not technically live, because it still gets edited, and... It's live now. It, no, it's not. It's not live until it gets published. <laughs> Anyways, this has been SysAdministrivia. This
1: is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Pete. Yeah.